0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The Scholastic Aptitude Test, or ACT, or SAT as it's commonly called, was invented back in 1926 by a eugenicist who created the test to reinforce a racial caste system. How many people who sit down and take the test actually know that? Now, decades later, in addition to evaluating millions of students' language and math skills, the College Board is trying to add new context to students' test scores by factoring in their social, economic, and family background. The Adversity Index consists of 15 factors, race is not included, that are intended to portray the level of disadvantage a student has faced. While students don't see their scores in those areas, College admissions officers do, and they have full discretion on whether or not to consider them in making admissions decisions. Our next guest argues that in some ways, this attempt to level the playing field for students is exactly bringing the test closer to its conflicted origins. And the big question is, can you really qualify adversity? Also, in 2019, do we still need standardized testing to be the way that we determine who gets into college and who doesn't. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And joining me now to talk more about the SAT, its history, and the way it is changing is Sidney Fussell. He's a staff writer for The Atlantic. He covers technology and data and recently wrote an article that was titled, The Problem with the SAT's Idea of Objectivity. Sidney Fussell, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So let's first get the SAT's racist conception out of the way. Talk about <laughs> who created this test and why. Right.
1: Well, so Carl Brigham was a um, very famous. He was a biologist and statistician, and um, basically he was interested in. Um, he was working with the military, with the army, and he wanted to make the point that uh, immigrants and. Uh, non-white Americans would not make good recruits basically. Um, The best soldiers, the most intellectual soldiers um, would be um, white people basically, uh, Nordic whites as he called them. Um, And so he created the Scholastic Aptitude Test and said this is the way that I'm going to prove that white people are the best at a whole host of (laughs) things, mental fitness, physical fitness, etc. And interestingly enough he started off very much sort of on the eugenics team and Proving that this racial caste system, but a few years later, he actually, excuse me, a few years later, he actually uh, regretted making the SAT, and he realized that it wasn't just um, measuring this innate genetic ability. What determined your SAT score was actually a whole host of environmental things. You know, whether or not you're familiar with English, Mm -hmm. where you're from, your background, etc. So, what I wrote about in the piece was that, weirdly enough, he shifted from believing that you could test. Innate ability to believing. Oh no, it's based on context and things like that. So he, in a very creepy way, is sort of aligned with the the <laughs> hypothesis of the new of the adversity score, which is that all these external institutional things have an impact on on your score.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so uh, given that that history and the the change uh, that the creator uh, made in in thinking of the way that the test should be used. I think it's really interesting that now in 2019, we're still kind of in that, in that same space. Um, uh, talk about this move that uh, the College Board is making to add this kind of context to the scores and, and what inspired them at this point to think that that was really necessary.
1: Right. Well, um, two things, and the first thing is, um, you know, this administration right now. um, There is actually a um, a court case um, working its way to the Supreme Court. Um, It is expected to hit the Supreme Court, and it's a lawsuit against Harvard arguing that Harvard has raised the standards for Asian applicants and is uh, discriminating against them. And yes. so um, that case has not made it to the Supreme Court, but obviously if it does, it's expected to sort of have these huge changes for the way for race-based admissions, simply because of the, the current, uh, mostly conservative makeup of the Supreme Court. And so um, the College Board created the adversity score in a way that it does not see race at all. You only put in the school you attend and you put in your, the neighborhood that you live in and so that was important because they didn't want to they didn't want race to be involved at all and obviously where you live is a huge proxy for race and we can get into that mm-hmm. but where but just you put in the zip code you don't put in black white asian et cetera. and so they actually piloted uh this before it was rolled out fully they piloted in uh florida which is banned um looking at race admissions since nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And so the first concern was we need to create a system that looks at environmental context but does not include race because they would introduce this system and then in a year or two, presumably it would it would be banned or the a uh, Supreme Court uh, change. Um, and so interestingly enough, Adam Mortara, who um, is representing some of the people making that lawsuit, actually said that he likes the it's called the environmental context dashboard. He likes the adversity score. He likes that racism a part of it. So First and foremost, they were looking for a system that brought in context, but would not, you know, that wasn't a time bomb, mm. you know, going down in, in three years. Um, and so, you know, whether or not that's successful or whether or not that is useful, it really depends. I've got a lot of emails and comments from people who say, oh, this is, you know, we've cracked the code, this is a smart way to do it. And also some people being like, no, take the test, go with your score, that's it. And there are also people who are, who are just like, the SAT is not a good system for determining whether or not someone will do well in college, regardless. Um, so there's I, what I liked about this is you can look at it a lot of different ways in terms of whether or not we need to fix the SAT score, um, add more context to it, or just do you know do away with it. Hmm.
0: Uh, I also think it's interesting that uh, the, one of the main criticisms of the SAT uh, is that it is just a proxy for family income, right? That that mm-hmm. it, it really is not telling you much more than uh what somebody's uh, economic and and therefore social background looks like uh this almost seems as though it's an admission that that's the case and that the way to account for that is to build it into the scoring um uh, that's a pretty profound admission really i think by 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 the college board
1: absolutely absolutely it is but really it's it's about a, The way I, I framed it in the piece is it's a hypothesis, and so Carl Brigham had the hypothesis that white people were smarter, and so he created a system for creating numbers that would prove that. And so um, this is a similar hypothesis in a way. I think that the College Board has the hypothesis that. What happens outside the classroom hugely impacts what you're able to summon on the test, and these are the numbers, these are the you know metrics that are going about to prove that hypothesis that yes, outside uh, context matters. And so, um, going back, sort of taking this and going back a little bit before about what I was saying about race, Mm -hmm. the the idea that people keep saying to me is, oh, you know, like a black kid from Philly from inner city Philly with a lower test score will get an over a white kid with a higher test score from the suburbs. And I think that people are so used to thinking about SAT scores in a racialized way that if you flip the races, maybe it's useful for realizing how important class environment is. And so the example I've been using is, you know, Sasha Obama, millionaire president family, (laughs) all star, if Sasha Obama applies for Yale with the exact same score as a student from opioid ravaged Kentucky or Appalachia or Montana, exact same score, exact same GPA. Would you not want that context of, hey, one person has enormous privilege and the other person, you know, is living with, you know, pop, 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 potentially like a, a parent that's struggling or with family members that are struggling or, you know, they're having to year by year watch students disappear because of the struggles in their family. And so I think that either reversing the races or taking the race races out of it is a good way to get people to think about what the hypothesis actually is. A lot of people think this is just, you know, some trick or some sleight of hand just to get, you know, lower scoring black Latino people into into college. And it's, it's really not. It really is just about seeing... Um, yeah,
0: the context, to my mind, at least. Yeah, uh, my guest is Sydney Fussell. He's a staff writer for the Atlantic. He covers technology and data, and recently wrote an article titled "The Problem with the SAT's Idea of Objectivity." We're talking about the new adversity index that's been added added into the SAT uh, scoring system. It has uh, the potential, at least, to help us understand external factors that influence academic performance. Somebody's Uh, economic background, somebody's social background, uh, measuring how that affects their score on the SAT. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, Tell us what you think of trying to measure that on the SAT. What do you think of the SAT in general as an evaluation of aptitude? Is this a test that is even still necessary? Also tell us if you remember taking the SAT and whether you did things that you thought improved your score. Did you get a tutor Uh, get the kind of training to score better on the test? Uh, And did you do those things for your child when they took the test? Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Really curious about uh, folks who believe that uh, standardized tests like the SAT are an unfair way to judge uh, performance, and that we ought to be thinking about uh, thinking about something different, uh, a different way to do all of this. Sydney, uh, I'm going to put that question to you before we get to the phones. Uh, is this a step in the direction of eliminating? This tool that that, of course, has this very interesting and controversial history. It, it is, I, I would argue, almost as controversial today uh, in, in some well, corners uh, when you think about uh, the, the, the scandal that we just uh, witnessed with some very uh, famous and wealthy people trying right. to, to fix things to, to get their kids into college. I mean, uh, how how far are we from a real conversation about eliminating standardized tests?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> honest. With you. I took the ACT, I took the SAT. I was I took you know the the paid prep classes, and if you go into Barnes and Noble or any of these bookstores, a small industry of these textbooks helping people get into these. So you know, there's a it's it's difficult. I think you know, sixteen, seventeen is already a difficult time, um, and so adding all this. Extra pressure of, of test taking, I think, is really hard. But in terms of whether or not the test itself is useful or, or the adversity index specifically, what, I think to start that conversation, the first thing we need to know is how subjective it is. And that's what I tried to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, the adversity score pulls from things like, you know, average income, crime rate, poverty rate, et cetera. And, and the first thing I realized was that all those numbers are completely subjective and mean different things in different contexts. If you're applying for a mortgage or a housing loan, all those things will probably work against you. If you're applying for bail, um, those same things will work against you. And so it's like those numbers mean such radically different things in radically different contexts that now saying, oh, they're useful in diversifying schools. It's like I think people should be a little bit, you know, suspicious about that, how the meaning of these summers change drastically depending on what outcomes are tied to. So I don't know exactly if it's the right step, but I do think that this is the first the first thing we need to realise before we take these real steps and have that real conversation is acknowledging that subjectivity. Okay.
0: Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sydney Fussell, staff writer for The Atlantic, about the SAT. And we'll get to your calls. Liz in Huntington Woods, Al in Gross Point. We'll hear from you next as well. If you want to join them, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Sidney Fussell. He's a staff writer for The Atlantic and covers technology and data. Recently wrote an article titled The Problem with the SAT's Idea of Objectivity. We're talking about the SAT and changes to the SAT, an adversity index that has been added to the test as a pilot program to see if the test can do a better job of taking into a count the things that are not academic influencers on people's scores Uh, as always the number is 313-577-1019 on the phones Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll try to work you into the conversation let's start with Liz in Huntington Woods Liz welcome to Detroit Today
2: Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Sure. Hi. I don't have any um, professional knowledge about this, but I did just have a son that took the SAT, Mm -hmm. so like a week ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty (laughs) up on this personally. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are things like the Khan Academy and the SAT College Board website that are accessible to anybody. It's not uh, uh, something you have to have money to, uh, to access. And that was all that we did. We didn't do the tutors or the... You know, things like that. My son has had a good education, and he just studied on his own, and we helped him. Um, I think that the tutoring thing is a reflection of how difficult it's become to get into even University of Michigan, which is a public school, Mm. and Michigan State, and so I think the parents are feeling the pinch, and they're trying to do that, but there are things that are accessible, you know, within the school and online for anybody. And the other thing is that I was going to say is that within a given family, I'm not disputing the, the fact that wealth buys you access. That's totally true. But within a given family, such as my family, where we all had the same you know, wealth index, basically, uh, we had wildly different scores. So I don't think it's new. Mm-hmm. Your access. I think in, if you go to Gross Point or Birmingham or whatever, where these people have access, or Huntington Woods, you'll see within many families that there's wildly different scores for each child because kids have different aptitudes and interests. Yeah. So I yeah. don't think it's just you know access is all. I'm trying That's to a say. really
0: that's a really interesting way to think about it, Liz. And I'm not sure I've ever. Uh, sort of thought to think of it in those terms. That, that uh, What if you looked within a family? Obviously, all of the children uh, come from the same uh, position as 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 it pertains to privilege. You know, if you have different scores there, what a, what accounts for that? Sydney Fussell, I wonder what you make of that kind of question.
1: Well, um, first, congrats to your son. SAT is not easy. So congrats. I'm glad you did really well. But um, but the only thing i say to that is that under this proposal, the adversity score would be the same for everyone because since they're all in the same household and presumably attending the same school, they would all be rated the same on on the adversity score. And, and it should be noted that schools have full discretion in whether or not they even look at it or use it or, or what role it plays. So it may not it may it may not even matter what the score is, and it, and it would be the same for everyone within one household. But um, but yeah, that's really that's really like my main point is that it would be level. But um, congrats to your son, and you know I'm glad to hear that he's doing well.
0: But but what do you make of the idea that um, if the test is primarily about? Family income and status—that uh, within a family, you have kids who who score wildly different. I mean, is it that this test is also measuring some other things that uh, that show up?
1: Uh, the the, AC, the SAT itself, or the yeah. or just the SAT? Oh, the, 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 the SAT. All right. so yeah. I think that I think. Well, I mean, the first thing I think of is that my brother and I also had wildly different interests in college, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we also that showed up in having. Different scores, but um, I mean, I think it depends again on what you're testing for. And so, if what you're testing for is um, math readiness or, ver- or verbal skills or you know these outside influences, it makes sense that they would be all be different scores because they're all different people. I think that I think that for each student, the amount to which you are influenced by your social status may differ. So there may be two people in the same household or in the same, you know, social class where the social class hugely influences one person. And on the other person, it like doesn't influence them as much. Um, I think one of the things that happens if you have a big supportive family where everyone has taken the SAT and everyone knows the value of college, I think that will probably buffer if you're, you know, an only child who doesn't have any um, family members who went to, who went to college, even if, in both examples they're in the same social class so i think that there are a lot of great buffers against the way that um social mix sort of like can bump up or, or lower and i think a big part is just how you were raised
0: mm. uh, again liz i really appreciate the call and the questions there uh let's go to al in gross point al welcome to detroit today
3: yes uh I took the SAT back in 1963, mm-hmm. didn't study for it and didn't do very well. <laughs> <laughs> I have two children. I got married later. So my children are relative. They're my son's uh, 27. My daughter's 29. Uh, we not only uh, they not only took a class, they had uh, private tutoring and they did very well. And my comment is that there is a huge difference. You're, they walked into the exam with a certain level of confidence that they knew just the type of question that was to be asked. Hmm. Uh I also took the uh GMAT test myself to get into graduate school for uh business. And uh the funny story I have about that is I'm taking this test and you're in the pressure of the test and they asked for uh antonyms, and I got antonyms and synonyms mixed up. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> it, oh, <yeah. laughs> oh, but I did no. a
3: random exam. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> catastrophic. But the point being that by taking prep classes, which I never took for either one of those, you have an edge up. And I don't care what type of additions you put on the exam. Hmm. They are going to be prepared for that type of question, and it gives them a, 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 an added ability. Is it fair? I don't know. I don't
0: know what fair is. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I really appreciate that that call and that perspective because I think it, it raises an an interesting question, uh, Sidney Fussell. Why, why wouldn't the focus maybe have been on making sure that everybody gets the prep that that is available uh, to, to people who can pay right now? Uh, for the test. In other words, would that have been another way to try to account for these differences to level the playing field in terms of who's ready for the test?
1: Right. Right. Um, I think, so I think a big part of this is also mental. I mean, you know, it's, Test taking anxiety is very real. I still mm-hmm. remember taking the, I took the PSAT, the SAT, the ACT, the GRE, like standardized test taking just creates a lot of anxiety because you hang the whole future on it. <laughs> um, but also, I think that um, as it relates to prep classes, I mean, that completely depends on the school itself. I mean, my school um, mm-hmm. that I went to, I graduated in 2007, and I remember we had. A verbal prep class but we didn't have a math prep class which was you know as a journalist that was the opposite of right. what I needed <laughs> um, right. but then also like I, like I said before there's a there's a small industry of preparing people for this test in terms of books in terms of tutoring and it does take access so I absolutely think that you know prep classes would be fantastic you know subsidize them or just create a community study group or the before before. if there's a lot of stuff online that works, but I think it just comes down to saying we need to put resources into preparing students, and I think that that is a function of the school that you're attending and whether or not they have the resources to put into um, getting people ready for college. They may have huge retention rates or dropout rates, or you know, low income, l- low literacy for incoming freshmen. So mm-hmm. it's one of the resources where they focused on. So um, yeah, talk to your teachers and principals and say, "Listen, I don't see any resources being put into." mitigating test taking anxiety preparing me for what kinds of questions and, and you know try to focus on that and do what you can i think the difference is that some people have to step up and ask and say will someone help me with this and some people when they get to junior or senior year it's like hey here's all the options for the SAT, act and mm-hmm. i think that's that's difficult too yeah
0: yeah again al thanks very much for the call let's go to karen in southfield karen what's on your mind hi, hi. um Yep. go ahead.
1: I'm just, Okay, I was just calling because this, the, the, when the article came out,
2: I kept thinking about this focus on adversity for, versus a focus on resilience. And resilience to me is something that we want to see in students. We want to see them in citizenship, frankly. And I think it's an issue because I'd rather have someone who's had to really struggle to get where they got. I think that that's a plus.
1: And maybe this is what this is trying to measure, but why adversity versus resilience? Oh. This what
0: we that's a really, that's a really great question, mm-hmm. uh, Karen. I'm glad you asked it, Sydney. I'll, I'll, I'll let you address that.
1: Well, I mean, when you look at the factors that go into measuring adversity as determined by the College Board, um, there's a lot of different ways that your life can be hard that would not be reflected in what they look at, and so they look at publicly available data. They look at, um, so for example, one of the things that influences your adversity score is single-parent homes. And so within your neighborhood, how many single-parent homes are there? And so one of the things we're not looking at, you may be in a two-parent home where there's domestic violence or mental health or alcoholism or, you know, we mentioned opioid addiction before. Um, There's so many different ways and so many things you have to overcome that would never be reflected in this specific score. Um, Obviously, one of the huge issues right now facing high schools is um queer identity and trans and trans identified students and bathroom bills and things like that and that's that will cause enormous anxiety um throughout school and especially in these test-taking scenarios and that's something that wouldn't be reflected um within the score and so there's so many different ways that So many things you have to overcome 17 is so hard is what i'm saying there's so many things you'd have to overcome that would not be reflected in the score so i think that this is an attempt at quantifying resilience i think this is an attempt at saying like you know if this person made this score considering everything they've been through they must be resilient and tough which is their best way of trying to come up with a proxy but there's obviously going to be just innumerable different ways that people are going to have to overcome things that would not be reflected right. in the score. Um, either way, you may come across as privileged or underprivileged and it wouldn't it be, be reflected.
0: Hmm. Yeah. In some ways it's probably useful to think of adversity and resilience is two sides of the same coin. I mean, the adversity is what you face, resilience is uh, the measure of how you deal with those things or overcome. Uh, and they're probably getting at some of both here with the things that, that they're looking at. Um, it's
1: uh, it, it sort of seems like what can we actually measure, you know? Uh-huh. And so, like public, and so things like income and crime rate and poverty rate, you can measure that because all that's. Available in a database that you can acquire such information, but um, they're they're really limited. And, and this is sort of gets back to what you're saying about whether or not this is the whole project is useful. It's just hard to quantify something that's an idea that's a personality trait. You sort of have to just piece it together based on the data that's available to you. It is limited, and that's because they're aware that it's limited. But this is sort of like their best, you know, their best shot at it. Um, um, but again, it's sort of a creepy thing to say that I can take a test to measure a personality trait right like some in resilience is just seen that's inside you um It's sort of difficult to say, well I can measure the resilience of a person with a with a test um like it's a little brigham esque um <laughs> um so again like again, there's this weird connection between the adversity score and and the original intention, but no, I completely agree that there's so many things you could overcome that would not at all be reflected in, yeah. in this
0: score. Yeah. Sydney, uh, we've only got about a minute left, but I want to get to this question that, that uh, Yale is one of the schools already using this. Uh, you talk about in this, in the story, how that's changing the demographics there. Uh, quickly give us a, a snapshot of that.
1: Right. So you said that um, over the past year, since they've started piloting this, they've been, uh, they've doubled the number of, incoming freshmen that are low income and first generation. it um, was from ten percent to twenty percent, which within a year at Yale is really, really incredible. And so obviously the SAT college were version index are interested in getting people there, but I think that the thing to focus on is really retention. And so the the test in my mind of the adversity index of whether or not it's useful is okay. These students got in, and then what happened to them? Like, was adversity useful? Not just in getting them admitted, but in keeping them there. You know, because it's it, you can be resilient in the things in your social life, but to be resilient in a college um, situation, especially if you're by yourself, if you're at a you went to a state school in a different state, you don't have family there, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole other world, and so. Um, the thing that I would say in terms of whether or not the adversity Index works, I would not say would be just admissions. It's, was it retention? Yeah. Was it graduation? Were was, was the people able to make it through? And that's, right. I think, the real test.
0: Okay. Sydney Fussell, staff writer for The Atlantic. Really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much. Thank sure. you for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.